Hi guys, thank you for tuning in to this very special episode of Less Panic, More Peace. Today, we have a very unique guest who is an assistant professor at Yale University and specializes in allergy, immunology, and integrative medicine. We'll speak about immunotherapy, new advancements, misconceptions of allergies versus food intolerance, how mental health really plays a role in food allergies, some advice and tips for kids and parents, interesting stories, and so much more. So without further ado, I am very excited to introduce you all, Dr. Gary Soffer. How are you doing today? Good. It's really nice to meet you. Thank you for having me. Of course. Thank you. And so what's funny is that we've been trying to have a schedule a time and day um, to have this, to record this podcast. You know, you're a very busy man. So um, so, (laughs) I'm so glad we get to um, talk right now and uh, really help a lot of people. So yeah, I'm really glad we were able to finally connect. Yes. Great. So can you tell the audience a little bit about who you are and what you do? So I'm a doctor and I'm a pediatrician and I've trained in allergy and immunology as a specialty. And I've also trained in integrative medicine as a specialty. Um, so I work at Yale in the, in the, the children's hospital. And I see patients for all different types of allergic diseases, but I especially love the food allergies. Awesome. So I, I want to kind of just get right into it because I know a lot of people are curious about this. And this is really directed to parents. Um, so one of the biggest challenges for parents is how do you really tell if your child is having, no, has an allergy, right? How do you discover if your child has an allergy of any sort? So do you know um, how to kind of figure that out? Sure. So the first and most important step is you talk to your patients and and you find out what happened and what's going on. Um, All of our testing is great, but it's not great without a real history of of what happened to that patient. Um, So connecting with your patients and getting a full story and really understanding what happened and what their concerns are is, is definitely the first step. And then to follow that, we have two ways of screening patients. So we can do skin testing and that involves little pricks on the skin with um, a little bit of protein diluted in some saline um, as well as uh, blood testing. So both of those will give us a good idea of if somebody might have an allergy with a history, but really the most important test at the end of the day is something called an oral food challenge. And what we do is we have patients come into our clinic and we give them gradually a little bit of the food and gradually a little bit more, and hopefully they don't have a reaction. And that's how we see if they do have a reaction, they're in a safe and controlled environment with lots of doctors and lots of nurses around and all of our medications. And, and then we see if they have a food allergy or not. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I'm um, actually kind of going off of what you said there, my brother, he's five and we were, we had tested him for in November, we tested him for if he had peanut allergy and so he went there and everything, and my parents were freaking out. They're really nervous. How many EpiPens do you have in the car? So it's like very, very hectic. And I know a lot of parents probably deal with the same thing. Um, and my dad was freaking out, you know, and my brother, my five-year-old brother was like, what if I die? And right there, I was like, oh my gosh, this is a really big deal. This is a really big thing. And it's really important to understand because I think part of that whole peace, less panic, more peace thing is to be educated on, you know, your child, what allergies they have, kind of going to the allergist's office and kind of figuring that thing out. So thank you for sharing that. I really appreciate it. 
Yeah, it's a really big, you know, what you touched upon is a really, really important point. So a lot of people are really scared about talking about death and dying. And, you know, we don't have that conversation enough with our patients because we know that's what all of our parents and all of our patients are thinking about. But it's really, really important to put into context what the risk of dying from your food allergy is. And so this is a little bit morbid, and but we have to talk about it, right? Yeah, so if you have a food allergy, you're more likely to die from a car accident. But we don't get into our car in the same way, right? We don't think every time we get into the car that this is going to kill me. No, we go to our place A and place B and we live our lives. But what do we do? We put on our seatbelt, we drive safely, we know that accidents can happen, but we're prepared for them. And the same thing goes for food allergy. So we carry our EpiPen, we read ingredients, we know that accidents happen, but we're prepared for them. And really, you know, having a food allergy is, is not the most dangerous thing in the world. Yes, um, I totally agree. It's like, you, you know, the driver's in control of your life, right? So you never know what's going to happen. We just drive in the car like every single day and feel like it's nothing. But we know for a fact that these things happen, car accidents happen and allergic reactions can happen, but you just kind of have to be in control. I feel like the biggest thing for me to be in peace and kind of in, you know, a good state of mind when having an allergic reaction is like, it's, it's going to be okay. You know, I'm prepared for this. I know it's going to happen if I eat Thai food, for example. I'm allergic to nuts, and I know Thai food has, you know, usually has nuts in it. But we ask them, say, this don't have not have no nuts in it, right? So we kind of, I'm in control of it, and I know it's going to happen. I have my EpiPen, so I feel like that's what really gives me more peace, um, if you know what I mean. So I know exactly um, what you mean. 100%. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so I want to kind of move into more of like the integrative medicine portion of like what you do. I found that really, really interesting. Um, and what I've also discovered is that you do something like it's called mind body interventions. Can you speak a little bit on that? Sure. So, you know, Rhea, we already talked about it, right? Because the, the essence of, of practicing something like integrative medicine, which was also known as like complementary or alternative medicine, but the essence of it is thinking about how we can be as least invasive as possible, meaning that we can do the least amount to get the most amount for the patient. And so, you know, we can do a thousand tests and we can scare the living daylights out of patients, but we're doing so much and we're causing so much harm. And so part of this is really, really just putting your food allergy into context. So that's, that's a component of integrative medicine because, you know, there, there are a lot of studies about the quality of life of, of kids with food allergy. And you seem to have a really, really good mindset about what food allergy is like, but a lot of patients, as you know, and this is why you've probably created the podcast, don't, it's paralyzing it scares them. They think about it all the time. And so some of the techniques that we can bring into from integrative medicine are things like meditation or things like yoga that may be able to give our patients a little bit more peace of mind about how they interact with their food allergy. Oh, wow. So do they, do they practice this every day or every week? What's the so everybody's a little bit different and there's different techniques in different places. So pa some patients will talk about yoga and then other patients will talk about mindfulness or breathing. And then some patients will talk about something called cognitive behavioral therapy, where they would see a psychologist or a therapist 
because sometimes they need that. Oh, wow. So do they actually help? Like, does this actually, is this proven to actually help their mental health? So there's not a lot of good studies on this stuff. And so that's what we're hoping to do eventually, but they're with respect to food allergy, but with respect to a lot of other diseases, um, it's really been shown to be beneficial to improve quality of life. Yeah. It's actually really funny that you brought that up because I'm actually doing a mental health survey with a professor. Um, and she's kind of helping me with kind of navigate how food allergies affect um, mental health in children's ages eight to 18. So I'm kind of working on that study and really kind of getting these scales, like quality of life scales, which you mentioned, and all these stress scale, anxiety scales. So it's really cool how you mentioned that. Yeah, it's a big part of food allergy, right? It's when you walk around with a food allergy, it's not just the peanut and it's not just, you know, the the tuna or whatever causes the allergy. It's so much more than that. And when we see patients in the office, we have to consider them and their families and all the emotions and feelings and everything else that goes into having a food allergy. Yeah. I mean, even in like traveling the world, you know, going to across the world with food allergies, you know, traveling itself is hard, but kind of traveling with food allergies is even difficult, even more difficult. Um, So I just kind of want to see how that really impacts mental health. Like I know for me, um, when I'm with my friends kind of eating dinner, um, it's like I have to tell the waiter I can die from food allergies. And I know that some kids my age can feel embarrassed for doing that or their friends might not be, be like, oh, what, what are you doing there? But it's, it's, it's a part, it's a normal thing. And I hope that I can continue with the study and really kind of bring some awareness um, out there about mental health and food allergies. So it's great. Yeah, it's really important. You're doing such wonderful work. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> um, so in this day and age, there's so many types of myths or misconceptions that occur and give many people stress and anxiety. So um, I've spoken a a bunch about this on my podcast and quite a few mentioned that they hate it when people say that uh, allergy is the same thing as an intolerance. So what's your perspective on that? I know for a fact that I don't, it's, it's very different thing, you know, allergy and intolerance are very different, but what is your take on this? Yeah, it is a really big misconception. And, and part of it is is explaining that to families because I don't think the misconception comes out of nowhere. I think there's a lot of um, media out there sort of making the two overlap and making it unclear. And so we know that allergies and specifically food allergies can be a life-threatening reaction. Um, whereas intolerances are not life-threatening, but they they can disrupt life and they can make the patient uncomfortable. So for an intolerance, for example, you don't need an EpiPen, but for food allergy, as you know, we do need an EpiPen. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, um, like milk intolerance and everything like that, milk allergy is different because you can obviously die from a milk allergy. And whereas, um, an intolerance you can't, but there's still, you know, there's still intolerance. We're not saying that intolerances aren't, you know, a bad thing. They still are worse for some people, but Um, there's just this misconception that gives a lot of people anxiety. So that's why I really wanted to bring that up. So, yeah. Um, And I also want to bring up the point where that there's so many people with allergies in this generation than in generations beforehand. So back then, you know, they're playing outside, they're playing in mud, kind of getting their hands dirty. But now generations are kind of like very clean with masks, of course, now during the COVID. So what is your take on how, you know, why are allergies getting worse over time. 
Yeah, I think you had Rushi Gupta on your podcast and she called it the billion dollar question. And it is the billion dollar question. You know, there's there's lots of answers about why allergies overall are increasing, asthma, um, allergic rhinitis, eczema, and then of course, food allergies. And the hygiene hypothesis, which is one of the ones you touched upon, is probably playing a very big role in it. But I think there are other components too. I think there's a lot of things in the environment that we're not that we don't even know about yet, that we don't even recognize yet, that are probably contributing to this as well. You know, I, when people ask me, I tend to use the word industrialization, meaning that, you know, our society has changed so much over the past hundred years in so many good ways, um, like airplanes and medicine and construction and buildings and all of these things, but, but it's also come at a cost to our environment and the things that we're exposing our bodies to. And I suspect that that's probably playing a big role in it as well. Yeah, hundred um, percent. And I, I kind of want to move into something that another misconception that you guys, that some people have actually had, and um, it kind of requires a little bit more explanation. So I'm going to kind of set a little scene, a little scenario for you. So um, a mother took a child to uh, a neighbor's house. Okay. Um, and the, nut, uh, the son actually has an allergy to nuts. So the mother goes in for coffee um, with the other mother and the child's kind of playing, having a play date with the other child and they want a snack, but the snack, this new snack that I'd never heard of says may contain. So there's so many parents who are like wondering, okay, what does may contain mean? Come on, like just say it is, or do- it doesn't, you know? So um, and they also, I've spoken to parents who are like, oh, I have to actually call them, the manufacturing companies, and actually ask them, what does this mean for my child and their allergens? So with your perspective, what does may contain mean? I have no idea. And nobody <laughs> has any idea. And there's really not a good answer. And these labels are usually written by lawyers or people in suits and not by doctors and scientists. And so it's, it's, a, it's a tricky space. But that's when we do something called shared decision-making, meaning that the decision is made with the family and the doctor together. And we talk together about the added risk of eating that food, but also the added enjoyment of eating that food. And which one do you, which one do you prefer? Where's your balance? I will say that if a patient comes in with a new allergy, I never tell them to stop eating foods that they're already eating. So if they have been eating may contain foods, you know, we give them space to continue to enjoy those foods. But, you know, there's an added risk, but there may be an added benefit too. And everybody has to weigh that out differently. Yeah. um, I also, I I thought that may contain actually meant, um, you know, it was just for, you know, lower lawyers, as you stated, lawyers are kind of just didn't want to get a lawsuit from, from, from this food or the snack. So that's what I really thought about that. So I want to kind of take a little intermission. We kind of went through the more like the misconceptions about the allergy and intolerance and everything. And I want to take a little intermission. And I do this, this um, segment called fast five questions. I'm not sure if you heard of it before, but it's basically like um, 73 questions on Vogue or, you know, these fast five questions. I'm going to ask you five questions and you're going to ask, um, answer them as fast as you can. Um, Are you ready for this? This is as close as I'm ever getting to Vogue, isn't it? (laughs) I know. I've always wanted to be um, answering the questions from Vogue. (laughs) So, okay. All right. Let's, let's begin. Let's do it. Let me take a sip of my water first. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Same. I'll do the same. Okay. Okay. We're both well hydrated. Yes. Awesome. Let's go. How do you come across clearly to a waiter or waitress? 
in a sentence. So you talk to the waiter or waitress, um, but you also advocate on a larger level. You know, it's important that our families get out there and, and look at legislation and look at education for restaurants in their local area. Awesome. So what are some tips from um, a doctor while traveling? What are like some go-to necessities you need to bring? Same thing that you do all the time. Read ingredients, be careful, and carry your EpiPen. The only difference is you should probably know where your local hospital is whenever you're traveling, just so you have a good idea. Yes, yes, definitely. Um, Okay, what's your step-by-step procedure and allergic reaction that you give to your patients? So recognize the signs and symptoms of an allergic reaction. That's the first step. And if there's any doubt, use your EpiPen. Awesome. Um, and do you think that parents should stop eating their allergen at home, their child's allergen at home, or should they just kind of continue doing what they do? So the only group where I really say to be extra special careful is toddlers who may be reaching and grabbing at things that they, that they don't know any better. But again, back to that shared decision-making thing. Every family is going to be different with their comfort level, and we want to meet those families where they are. Great. Um, and then any, any like allergy-free snacks or brands or even like apps that you've heard of that are like really beneficial to parents dealing with their child having allergies that you can mention? I mean, we all love FAIR, right? FAIR is this massive you know, national, international advocacy group. And so that's a great, great resource for families. Awesome. Great. You did. You completed the fast five questions. Was it fast enough? It was fast. I mean, a lot of people actually, um, they kind of take their time with it and it's like gives more information, which is like great, but you did it perfectly. The perfect amount of time, everything, everything is great. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> yeah okay. So now um, I want to kind of go back to the core of the podcast, which is less panic and more peace. Um, and I think that parents really want to hear, you know, if they're listening to this podcast, they want to hear some good, amazing tips and advice, which you have so much knowledge so you can share to the parents um, dealing with this. So is there any cures or advancements or new medicines or anything that people can like be hopeful with um, about dealing with food allergies themselves? So there's a lot of it, but the one thing I, uh, you know, in the theme of your podcast, what we want to talk about is making sure that your, your your child's food allergy is not their identity. It isn't all of them. And there's so much more going on. And some families are really good at this. They can compartmentalize the food allergy and the kid has a million other things going on. But for other families, the stress is just so large that their entire identity that they're giving their child is their food allergy. And we really, really want to stay away from that. And so I look to the old practices instead of the new ones, things that we talked about before, like mindfulness and meditation to try to work through those because, you know, we love advancements in healthcare, but we also like looking at the old practices and seeing how they worked so well for thousands of years before we had medicine. But there's lots of advancements. There's a lot of money and a lot of research going into food allergy now and lots of different treatment modalities. Um, I'm sure you know many of them, like oral immunotherapy and the use of like biologic medications. Um, and hopefully, hopefully we're going to make some strides. You know, parents often ask me, will my child grow out of this? And, you know, for certain allergies, the answer is probably yes. And other allergies, the answer is probably no. 
But what I always remind them is that I think in 10, 15 years, we're going to be in a very, very different place. And it may be a very, very different question that you're asking. Yeah, I love how you said um, kind of going back to the old practices, because we can we can have we can see all these like vaccines or these new cures that um, with everything, but kind of going back to the core of everything, you know, meditation, yoga, mindfulness, all of those things that you're doing for your patients. I think that's amazing. And I haven't really heard of that relation to food allergies. And I know a lot of, I've heard like mindfulness and yoga for your stress and anxiety, but you know, there's stress and anxiety for food allergies as well. So I love how you're doing that for your patients. Awesome. So um, I kind of want to ask you a question that I was actually really curious about. Can the same mechanism be used in immunology in food allergies? So there can there be a vaccine for food allergies like there's a vaccine for COVID, if you know what I mean. You know, they're taking the same protein and kind of putting it inside your body. Is that what immunotherapy is? So there's a lot of very smart people looking at this and trying to figure out if there is a potential vaccine for for food allergy. Um, but it's all in the very, very, very early stages. And obviously we don't have the same amount of money or public interest as we did for the COVID-19 vaccine, <laughs> but maybe, who knows, maybe you'll be the one to discover it. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I mean, I don't know. Um, but I, I just, I just want to ask you a really quick question. You have a lot of information, right? So my listeners um, are kids and parents who are dealing with food allergies, obviously. And I want to ask you that if there's any advice or any tips that you can give them because they're really, tips and advice are a really important thing or, and stories that if you can share any stories um, about people who go from a little bit less panic and more peace um, for your patients and everything. So do you have any stories or tips or advice that you can give them? My first tip, my first tip is to find somebody who specializes in food allergy. There's a lot of allergists and there's not that many that really focus on food allergy. And unfortunately, we, we see a lot of children who have been misdiagnosed with food allergy. So find somebody who's doing lots of food challenges, because oftentimes we can rule out some food allergies and, and make your life a little bit easier too, you know, but back to, you know, back to the more peace concept. You know, we had a we had a patient come in who had that mindset of just utter panic and utter fear with his food allergy. And I was pretty convinced at least one of his foods he wasn't allergic to. And I brought him in for a food challenge. And he came in and he was crying nonstop. And he was scared and he was shaking. And rather than going ahead with the food challenge, we decided to take a step back, have him meet with, you know, one of our mental health experts. And she spent about an hour or two with him, just talking, just listening. And by the end of it, he was ready for his food challenge. And he passed his food challenge. Gosh, that's so yeah. awesome. So, so I think, I think, you know, spending the time with them and talking to them, you know, is, is, is a big part of it. Yeah, I think mindset is a really big thing regarding anything, you know, not even food allergies, just, you know, sports or um, tests. I think the mindset of positive mindset um, with anything dealing with food allergies is a really great thing and can shift, you know, your whole mood. So that's a great story. Um, <clears throat> so what can parents do 
to prevent food allergies in their child. So they're new parents and, you know, they don't know really what to do. And their child is about like five months old, for example. How can they shift? How can they prevent their child's food allergy from occurring? So I think the biggest mistake parents make is they think they're protecting their child by not exposing them to certain foods and waiting until they're older. But we now know that it's really, really important to get these foods into the diet early, especially foods like peanut or egg, um, but likely for the tree nuts and, and the other foods as well. So working with your, with your pediatrician to come up with a good plan about how to introduce the allergenic foods um, is really, really important and really helpful. And then, you know, we, you mentioned it before, let your kids get dirty, let them play in the mud, let them have fun, you know, and, and expose them to all types of things. Yeah. Um, I also want to mention really quick, like a little story that kind of in relation to your story, but so it's on my previous podcasts and um, this Italy story, this infamous, infamous Italy story that I, I usually share on my podcast. And it's my sister, she had, um, she has an allergic reaction to peanuts. So she went to Italy. We had, she had two allergic reactions. She used to take two EpiPens and it was just a very crazy, crazy experience. But at the end, she kind of, we kind of went from a state of panic. Um, in the first few days, she had a chocolate croissant, which turned out to be had hazelnuts in it. And my, um, and then the other allergic reaction was of a coffee ice cream gelato. And the gelato had, was, you know, caused contamination and everything. And so her mindset was down. You know, she didn't want to eat anything. She just kind of stuck to pasta and pizza and calls it a day. And my dad was the only one there. My mom was um, actually back home in New Jersey working at her, in her practice. And my dad was the only one. And I'm sure he was like freaking out. You know, my mom being on the other side of the country was just kind of freaking out too, having to stab two EpiPens in, you know, her thigh and everything. So it was a really frustrating and kind of crazy time. But um, a few days later after her two EpiPens, we went um, to a little place where there had so many birds on them, right? And so there were so many birds and she wanted to, she held out her arm and she was kind of trying to get the birds and, you know, her laugh and her excitement about that. She kind of just forgot about all the panic that happened. And she kind of said, oh, wow, this is like a really great place. This is a great experience. And um, I don't know, it's a very, it was a very challenging moment, but it was also really great because she got to experience a little bit more peace and happiness. And she's very jovial at that time. So I, we were, my dad and I were both really happy that she was happy and she kind of had to forget about all those EpiPens that she had to take. So I think it's that. also important to reflect on those moments, right? Because she had to use the EpiPen, you know, as she had prepared for, as she expected might have happened and she did great yeah. and it, she was scared and that's okay you're allowed to be scared and she was a little bit traumatized by it and that's okay you could be a little traumatized but she did great mm -hmm. and, she, and you know she got through it and she did just fine and her vacation went on and you know she loved it I love that story thank you for telling me <laughs> yeah I mean I mean what can you do when you're traveling it's it's just very hard and my sister actually we actually the thing is we didn't even have we didn't even search up the nearest hospital or ER at all. And so we were, we were kind of going crazy, like kind of Googling what was there and it was raining cats and dogs. And we had to get an Uber. We had to call our allergists from America. And so it was a really crazy experience, but um, I get to tell the story and really hopefully help people and say, you know, search up, 
you know, before traveling, kind of take the EpiPen, multiple EpiPens, actually, not even one, multiple EpiPens, kind of go through the steps and really understand where you are and your surroundings. Um, so yeah, that's, that's the story I really like to share. Um, so um, I do this last little segment to wrap everything up. It's called the words of wisdom. And um, since you have so many, so much knowledge to share to the audience, just one little tip or advice that you can give to parents or even children to kind of get a little bit more um, health, you know, mental health, it can be regarding mental health or it can be regarding anything. So any tip or advice you can give them would be great. I think we talked about this a little bit, but don't let your food allergy become your identity unless you're doing work like you. I mean, you're doing such wonderful work. It's a big part of your identity, but you've made it into such a powerful and positive thing and it's, and it's beautiful to watch. But if it's, but, but if it's a weight on you and you're carrying it and it's your identity in that fashion, you really, you really should seek out help. Keep, keep in mind that kids with food allergies have quality of lives that are similar to other people with chronic diseases. And I think it's very easy to, to treat food allergies as, oh, it's just a food allergy. It's not lupus. It's not juvenile arthritis. It's just a food allergy. And it's not just a food allergy. And you have to treat it with the same regard and respect. And so getting mental health care and involving, you know, other people outside of your allergists are incredibly, incredibly important. Yeah. There's so many things that you can do. You know, there's just maybe one thing that you can't eat, um, but you kind of, um, you just gotta have to deal with it and it's okay. You can, you know, you can jump rope, you can climb the monkey bars, you know, you can do so many different things and just eating one thing is not going to hurt you. And I know it might be hard seeing everybody else eat, you know, dairy or kind of ice cream, pizza, everything like that. But you'll get through it and everything happens for a reason is what I go by, you know, problems or opportunities in disguise um, is what I go by, you know, COVID happened and I decided, you know, I have to get up and do something productive. So I created this podcast and I'm just so glad I can share these tips and I'm so glad I can meet, you know, people like you who are really taking initiative and doing something to help the world. So I really appreciate that. So thank you so much for coming on my podcast. Um, I really, well, I really appreciate everything you're doing because I only get to see one patient at a time, but you get to connect with a lot of people and, you know, so much of, of what's amazing about food allergy is this community that's been created around it, whether it's the work you're doing or if it's fair or lots of local, wonderful food allergy groups. Um, so, you know, keep, keep it up. It's awesome. Thank you so much. I definitely concur. You know, community is one of the biggest things and one of my favorite things about doing this podcast. Um, so yeah, thank you. And thank you all for listening to less panic, more peace, new episodes every week. Peace out.